Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.D.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome and thank you for joining me once again. I am here with my co-host, John Carousella. Good morning. And Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. For another intriguing, stimulating, thought-provoking conversation uh, around a topic that hopefully will also raise questions and allow you, the listener, to ponder how you might perceive, approach, think about, or respond to what it is that we are discussing. Uh, and so the the topic that I wanted to bring up today, and, and part of this is because as we're nearing um, the beginning of spring, a lot of times we think about spring cleaning uh, because we want to kind of clear out the, the, the old energy, the kind of musty energy that's kind of gotten stagnant because everything has been all closed up. We get to start opening up windows. We have, get that feeling of air starting to move through the house. Uh, we want to clean things, so there's a sense of starting a new cycle and a new season, all fresh and clean. And um, so, and a lot of that has to uh, a relationship to what we often would think about with feng shui, um, which has a lot of emphasis around making sure that energy is able to flow and move and not get blocked or stuck in in our houses or in a space in some way. But also we could think you can feng shui your own self because you don't want energy to get stuck or blocked in your own body, mind, or spirit. Uh, so I, and, and I wanted to, to read a quote. It's a fun, it is a quote that kind of relates to feng shui, but we're going to expand on that a bit more broadly. Um, and this is from a, a feng shui consultant named Denise Lin. And she says, for your soul to feel balanced and happy, it is essential to find a place on the planet where you feel truly at home. The things surrounding you in your home serve as subliminal reminders of who you are. They will continue to direct you towards old patterns of behavior. Subconscious beliefs are generally so deep-seated that one is not aware of them. So here it's taking the idea that if we even just look at what do we surround ourselves with physically in the space that we inhabit, how does that reflect a deeper aspect of our patterns, of our habits, of who we are, of who we've been, we can also maybe see things, and this is where you'd see, if you go to extreme, it might be a hoarder, but it also is a lot of times, you know, you haven't changed anything in your house for 10 years. You haven't changed a table, you haven't changed a paint color, uh, you know, you haven't rearranged the furniture in all that time. And that may show that even though we've grown and changed, have we really accepted or stepped into that growth and change or are we a bit stuck in the past or the old us, unable or unwilling to actually shift or move or adapt with the natural evolution and progress of time and ourselves? So my first question that I would like to pose is what are indications that you feel would um, show us that perhaps energy 
whether it's in our space, in our lives, in ourselves, uh, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, what are some indications or signs that energy has gotten blocked or stagnant or even there's been a toxic buildup of energy? Uh, what do you think would be um, signs that we could point to and say, ah, if we see this happening, if we feel this way, this may be something that we need to take into account as to how is that energy getting blocked or stuck or how is it built up to toxic levels? Well, I see. I I, I got to say, there's a, a phrase that I use to describe this in um, in a, in one's living space. I call it institutionalized mess. <laughs> it's like like the pile of paperwork that you keep piling stuff on top of instead of dealing with, right? It's it's the stuff that's sitting on the shelf that you put stuff in front of. Um, anytime you're in a place where there's an object that you no longer notice or notice only in passing as being something that's in the way of the thing you want to do, but you don't do anything about it. You just sort of layer on top of it. I think that's an indication of of stuck chi, of of energy that's stuck. You know, like I I have this situation with my paperwork, my financial paperwork. The last thing I want to do is go through my financial paperwork, sort it, file it, put it in its proper place, and deal with the stuff that needs to be done. And so it just it's in a pile right now. And of course it's tax season, so it's even worse, right? It's exacerbated by the fact that I need to have all this stuff ready for my taxes. But what it indicates to me is that there's an energetic blockage in me that doesn't want to deal with that part of living in a modern society. And I'm not I'm not addressing that resistance in myself. I'm just sort of piling things on things that I'd rather do on top of it. And I think that's a, a, um, a reasonable metaphor. You can, you can, uh, by extension, look at anything in your life where you're, where you're resistant to cleaning up, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, I'll deal with that someday. Um, but not today. And meanwhile, it's, it's in the way. So I'm just going to sort of elbow it out of my way uh, to put something else there. So that to me is is my first indicator that that I have something stuck in my life. I really like this question. And for myself, when I'm looking at my living space, what comes to me is I feel it's very beautiful, physically pleasing. I feel energy moving through it. And the reason that I try to keep it vibrant and alive and I change it around often and I have plants sunshine coming in is because I have experienced living in an area that when I walk in the door, my energy gets zapped. And unless you're paying attention, you can walk in that door every day and have your energy zapped and you have no idea that it's being zapped. All you know is that you're tired suddenly or cranky or in a funky mood. So, that to me would be one example and so important because we do have to have a roof over our heads every day. So that that living space that we're in, if it's not supporting your energy, 
if it's not at least at neutral, it could be draining your energy. So that's how I kind of look at being in balance there and how important it is. And I think similarly, there's a sense of if you feel you can't relax because every time you look someplace, you think, oh, there's something I need to get to. Oh, there's something I need to do. Oh, you know, I wish I didn't have so much stuff piled up in that corner. Um, If you feel like you can't um, breathe, like you were saying, if you feel like you can't sleep well, then I would say that those are indications that there may be things that need to be cleared away or at least opened up and shifted so that the passageways of energy that move through a space are able to do so openly and freely. Um, and and you can get those kind of physical, just like you were saying, Mildred, those physical indications aren't always just about, oh, maybe I'm getting sick. It may also be about maybe I, I need to look at what's around me. What am I surrounding myself with? Because that feeling of um, feeling overwhelmed or not being able to breathe or not being able to relax, those are physical manifestations of what may be going on in our environment and physical surroundings just as much as it may be an indication of suddenly I'm coming down with a cold. So we don't want to use that. It's like if we're always feeling that way, don't just say, oh, I have this cold that's been lingering for seven months (laughs) versus maybe there are some other things to look at around me that might be causing me to feel this way rather than it just being some lingering cold. Um, But I, I find that that's often an indication is how am I feeling physically that can make us at least be uh, triggered into wanting to look at what is it that is around me in my space that might be contributing to that feeling. And you would know it because when you think about it, when you look at it, you would immediately feel that sense of mental weight. You know, like, oh, I don't even want to deal with what's over there. Oh, I just, I can't even look at that, you know, kind of thing. Mm. Um, So... uh, Go ahead. Hi, I see the. Uh, yeah, what I was going to say as you were talking, I find that sometimes people look at their living space as stagnant space or static space. It doesn't move. It's not dynamic. And if you're looking at your space, like it's full of objects. Now, yes, it is full of objects, but it's also full of air that you inhale and exhale and all your senses are engaged. So what I found for myself when I shifted from looking at my living space as being static or stationary to giving it the t- the umbrella of being an organic space, like a biosphere, mm. then it became easier for me to identify what I where I would have a block or what I needed to shift or change to honor that biosphere. So that's just another little thingy. Yeah, it's kind of like looking at your space as a living, breathing organism the same way that your body is. Mm -hmm. And just like we change our clothes on a regular basis, we bathe on a regular basis, we feed ourselves, etc. It's looking at the space you inhabit as also needing all of those kinds of things as well on a regular basis. So, you know, we may change clothes every day. You don't have to change your furniture every day, but at least doing it on a regular basis. So there is that sense of continued movement and opening up rather than static becoming stagnant becoming toxic you know that brought up to for me Mildred Lennon I see it brought up the idea of gardening right gardening 
your space if you were if this if your living space were literally a garden you would visit each part, each plant in it every so often and tend to it and see how it's doing uh, and i think the idea of gardening your your physical your habitation your your home uh is a, is a nice one i think i'm going to continue to think about it that way so um what would you offer as perhaps suggestions or tips one on how to avoid letting things get to that point in the first place, which we may have already touched on, but maybe if you have something specific to, to offer there. And then two, when you are feeling that there is a sense of energy that has become blocked or stagnant, what are suggestions and things that, that can be done to manage or change that energetic state so that the physical space and also in the internal space can both be affected or what could you do on either the external and or the internal to help shift or work with that? I think for me, there's a couple of things I want to share. Um, one is uh, that I, I'm i I'm sitting here at my desk and, and my guitar is on a guitar stand right next to my desk. And I, that's, that, that's a powerful metaphor for me because... Um, I love music and I don't often play music enough during the day or during the week. And having this instrument here that it reminds me of the things that I love to do, right? It's a, it's a reminder of an activity that brings me fulfillment. It makes it easier for me to actually engage in that activity when it's, when the instrument is right there. And the other part of that is that that the activity itself is an activity of flow. It's an activity of flowing through and flowing with something. You know, making music, whether it's whether it's beautiful, you know, artic, artistic or not, it is a something that that flows. Right? It's not a static thing. And so, I think bringing things into your routine that are flowing kinds of activities. Are, are very, very helpful. Um, the other part, which is sort of the other side of this coin, is the accumulation of stuff, even if it has sentimental value. I think it, it needs to be looked at really carefully. It's like, do I really, yes, I have some, some attachment to this, sentimental attachment to this, but is it really serving me now? Is this really something that I want, that, that's serving me to have it in my space? And looking at things very carefully and saying, you know what, that book has been on my shelf for five years. I haven't touched it in five years. Maybe I haven't even read it. What am I doing with that there? That's taking up space. And so really shedding, simplifying, relinquishing the attachment, not the memory necessarily, but, but reducing its priority so that it's not in your space, I think helps create, you know, it's like it's like death and composting, right? You know, things have got to got to be cleared out for new things to to arise. So be careful what you hold on to and take an active uh take active time to to prune. Well, for me, I spoke with my sister in Newfoundland and she said something that really hit home. She said that she would go through her living area and identify things that irritated her. 
I guess I was ready to receive that message. So over the past year, I have done exactly that. I've taken room by room or spot by spot and looked for something that would irritate me on a daily basis. And it's really quite comical because it could be something like a drawer that jiggles or towels that are folded and the labels on the towels are all hanging out or something like that. Things that you would in your normal day ignore or not even be present to. And what I found is you start developing this skill. And once you start to remove things that irritate you, and they don't have to be big irritations. The the key thing is like every day you do this and it kind of irritates you a little bit. So what I found is once irritation was removed, there was a space created to invite in beauty. So after, after I removed many things, I started to look at how can I make this spot more beautiful? And that became the next rotation after getting rid of the irritation. And after beauty was done, then what came into me is, well, how can I facilitate healthy, happy, positive flow of energy? How can everything breathe in the house? Mm. And then that became my next rotation. So at the end of a year, as I look, take a panoramic view of where I'm living, I can honestly say internally and externally, everything that's here is beautiful. It supports my energy. I'm not feeling a a low hum of irritation on any form. And I'm looking forward to the next rotation that's going to be coming through. That's great, Mother Lynn. Catalyst effect. That's awesome. (laughs) I really like that. I've got a bunch of things sitting right in front of me that irritate me. I can just do something with them. Get rid of them. That's great. I, I didn't look at it. Oddly enough, John, I didn't look at it in the context of this irritates me, I'm getting rid of it. Mm. I looked at it in a positive sense in terms of what can I what can I put in place or what can I replace this with that would raise the energy vibration. So it was always, this is here, how can I make it better or more in harmony with who I am? This is here, how can I make it better? So that made the whole process very enjoyable, at least for me. It worked well with my nature. And and a theme that I hear coming up from both of you is actually the willingness to take action. Because, and this can apply to something in our physical space, but also we could easily see how this could apply in our lives in general. If we just always notice something that irritates us and then use that as an opportunity to complain or bemoan, and yet don't do anything about it, then we're really just saying, I'd rather allow this to be here and irritate me on an ongoing basis because I don't want to deal with it or do anything about it. But what you've just illustrated is if you identify something that irritates you and then you take action to do something about it, even if it's as simple as, you know, I'm just going to go get scissors and I'm going to cut off those tags on those towels that are hanging down that I have been, you know, noticing and been irritated about for the past six months since I got those towels, then suddenly within 10 seconds, we have done something and removed the irritation so that even on a psychological basis, when we walk into the room, it's not there that that triggers that sense of Ugh, that again. So I think that that's something that we could also apply to our lives in general is don't allow irritations to go uh, unacted on, 
rather than doing something about it. Because the sooner you do something about it, the less it builds and builds and builds into something that it doesn't need to be. Just like if we address an issue with someone when it is starting, it can be a lot easier to find the resolution rather than waiting six months and letting it build and build and build. So we're so angry, so frustrated, so irritated that we just blow up at them. And I also think that this kind of ties into what you were saying, Mildred, is um, instead of adding to, always remember to replace. So if you're going to get something to, to bring into a space, think as I'm getting this or before I get it, what am I going to remove from that space to make room for this to come in? And it may be big, it may be small, but that means we're not just continually adding to, which to what John was talking about begins to just build up more and more in feng shui, you'd say more and more clutter in the space, um, but allows for that rotation, allows for that constantly shifting and moving energy. Um, and also paying attention, for example, if you walk into a room and you always are having to do this kind of weird little dance or movement to avoid something, to move around something, to get to where or what you were going into that room for, then it probably is not in proper placement or alignment. And that would be the same in our lives as saying every time I'm in this place, every time I'm with this person, I always have to walk on eggshells. I always have to tiptoe around a particular topic. And it says, well, then let's move the furniture so that we don't have to go to those extreme lengths to try to get to or into where it is we're going rather than there being a comfortable passageway and openness for movement within the space. And that may mean finding a different way to interact with someone, or it may mean not being around someone any longer. Um, so it's just taking it from the physical space to other areas of our life in some way. Um, so, and and in some ways, those are very feng shui kind of, they would call them cures. Uh, to space, it's looking at where can I not move or get to something. And also looking at rooms that you feel are just functional, you only go into because you have to rather than feeling like you want to be in that room. If you have that feeling of not wanting to be there unless you have to be in it, then there's something about that space or situation that needs to shift or change. And what can you do to make it more inviting and make it someplace you actually like to be in, rather than someplace you feel like you just have to go into only when you have to in order to get something or do something that's necessary in that room. But we can easily then take those ideas and adapt them to our lives in a larger way. Um, it's not just about the physical space and placement of things, but that's a very tangible way of understanding if that's happening, how is that reflecting something that may not be in alignment in other areas of myself or my life? Giving space to the things that, that need space and reserving space by taking things out that are taking up space uh, physically or psychologically, emotionally, is very important stuff. And also, because you talked about clutter, uh, also paying attention. Sometimes rooms are, you know, perfect or minimalist, but it's like, you know, there's no clutter anywhere. Now, you might open a closet and find that a lot of other things get put into a closet so that they aren't seen. And that can also be a reflection on how we might try to maintain a perfect veneer for the world that we tend to hide or push things down uh, someplace so that we don't deal with them, but also so that they're not seen because we think out of sight, out of mind, which actually isn't really true, um, which is why a lot of times in feng shui, it's about clearing out closets uh, 
because we it's it's the spaces that are blocking the energy that we don't necessarily notice, pay attention to, or that we think don't affect the flow of energy that can often be very significant in the impact or effect that they are having. Um, so it's 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 not just about because somebody may say, oh no, my house is always you know spotless and clean and there's no clutter, there's no anything anywhere, but that can be another form of what is that trying to hide or how is that trying to hold on to a certain um, ideal that is not necessarily real in maintaining and how are we maybe doing that in our lives in general. Um, so I just wanted to also toss that in because it can go both ways because a lot of times people just think that clutter means there's all sorts of stuff everywhere. Um, yeah, and, and hi, see, the other thing, too, is that what I've learned on my journey here is that there's certain focal points in the home that, let's say, you're sitting on the sofa and your eye always hits a point or you're wandering through a room and your eye always goes to another point. So what I've learned is that there are areas where you have a chance to shift the energy on a more frequent basis. So what I've identified here, I've got five areas in the house where my eyes usually go to, and I've chosen to put something living there. So it would be plants, or it would be, or it could be a beautiful piece of art, or it could mm-hmm. be a beautiful table runner with blown glass. And I found that remarkable in terms of how that lifts my energy or supports the energy that I want to be at. And it's, you would think, well, that might be a lot of work. It really isn't. It's like anything else. You just get into the flow of it. So I made a promise to myself. I'm a very visual, creative person. I have these five areas. So once a week, I'm going to change it out. Mm-hmm. That's and great. It's, and it's really working. So just wanted to throw that tip in there. Excellent. Well, thank you for that that last tip that is crucial but easy to implement. And also thank you to my co-hosts for taking some time to discuss this topic with me today, to John Caracella, host of Convergence on the third Sundays of each month. Always a pleasure, I see. Thanks. And Mildred Lynn McDonald, host of Healing Conversations on the first Sunday of each month. My pleasure, I see, as usual. And stay tuned. If you would like to get a reading at the latter part of the show, you can get into the queue by connecting in from the show page or calling 646 716-5510. And coming up in just a couple of minutes is my revolutionary guest, Feng Shui Master Alita Lito, and we will hear much more about how to go about implementing many of the things that we have been talking about in this round table, as well as expanding on some of the ideas and perhaps some surprising things you might not have considered in regarding your space and yourself and how they align and how they affect each other. And you also have the chance, if you would like, to connect or call into the show during my conversation with Alita to ask her questions about your own space, your own house, uh, feng shui questions that you might have, placement questions, etc. So I would encourage you, if you have questions about that, to connect in or to call 646-716-5510, and you will be able to ask your question to her live on the air during the show. So thank you for listening thus far. Stay tuned for my revolutionary guest, Alita Lito, and we will be right back. The one. 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 The
Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at Facebook.com/slash Revolution with Heisey. Enjoy the show.
my revolutionary guest this month is Feng Shui Master Alita Lito. Alita Lito is a classically trained Feng Shui Master who has consulted worldwide for over a decade. She has been honored to apprentice with world-recognized masters of Feng Shui, healers, and architects. Born in Latvia, where her studies focused on physics and mathematics, Alita serves clients around the world from her office in Los Gatos, California. Alita is a graduate of Golden Gate Feng Shui School, where she continues to teach students as a guest lecturer. She has received certifications and awards from the Golden Gate Feng Shui School, the European School of Feng Shui with Feng Shui Architects, Feng Shui Educational Seminars in Hong Kong and China with Masters of Feng Shui, Jody Brunner and Howard Choi, and from Master Louis Ming in Da Yuan Circle Wisdom Science and Chinese Pole Star and Almanac Astrology. Alita's consultations include evaluations of the exterior and interior environments to identify strengths and weaknesses in order to provide optimal solutions to improve the good energy flow and bring positive balance to a client's surroundings. She also incorporates a client's personal destiny analysis based on their Chinese astrological natal chart to identify key findings about how a client can reach their life's full potential. To find out more information about Alita's services or to schedule a consultation with her, you can find her on the web at www.alitalito.com, which is A-E-L-I-T-A-L-E-T-O dot com. So please join me in welcoming this month's revolutionary guest, Feng Shui Master Alita Lito. Hello. Oh, sorry. I guess I have to take my microphone off of mute, don't I? Uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. It's such a great pleasure and honor to to speak to your audience. So thank you for inviting So, uh, you know, I I think feng shui is something that is familiar to many people, at least, you know, hearing about it. Um, But I'm wondering if you can give us a little more of an in-depth explanation of what feng shui is and how it goes beyond just where you place a couch in the living room versus there is much, much more to feng shui. Uh, So maybe we can just help people understand a little more of the depth and breadth of what feng shui is. Uh, of course. Well, feng shui, as you know, feng shui is the ancient Chinese art of, and it's also art and science uh, to bring the human being in alignment uh, with the nature, with its surroundings, and uh, and to be in a very timely manner. So when we, or when I practice feng shui, we always analyze and look at the. Uh, surface and environment in a kind of three plateaus we called we talk about the heaven chi which is time we talk about earth chi which is actually physical environment that surrounds us and we also um, integrate very vital aspect of the human chi which is ourselves our conduct our senses our connectedness uh, our basically being 
within and integrating in a time and space. So sometimes when we think it's like, well, if the feng shui could be as simple as moving furniture, I would say yes. And it could be as complex as going with the rhythms of the cycle. And maybe just very briefly, we can even uh, look at what's happening in the nature as we speak. As you know, we were, we are, it's rainy. <laughs> it's beautiful rain outside. Um, it's soaking up the ground. It's awakening certain aspects, but it's not aggressive. So if you, as a, in a human aspect of chi, it goes in alignment what is a, a good conduct at the time frame where we're at now, staying in a present moment, then we basically in a harmony, in a harmony within and in a harmony with outside. So I hope, that's, I hope that gives you a little bit of an intriguing aspect how to look to the feng shui. It does. Um, and, you know, so you mentioned the rain, for example, and I know that the elements play a big part in feng shui um, and slightly, slightly differently in terms of the eastern elements, which I believe are earth, uh, no, 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 uh, air or wind, fire, <laughs> metal, wood, and is the other one earth? What What are uh-huh. the five elements? In that a, you tend to work with. So we work with the so basically wood, fire, earth, metal, and water, and those that are in a ah. in a cyclical abundance and supportive uh, cycle. But those are not the physical elements. It's more like a description of the flavor of chi that is available on its. Let's say if we're speaking of fire, <laughs> right? fire we can see but we're also sensing and sometimes in the shadow of fireplace we can see how the 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 kind of steamy heat rises up and expands right so the quality of the you don't have to hold the fire you can be in the proximity of it you can enjoy the flame but you can enjoy also this gentle um radiance that you know kind of we connect to it uh versus rain you know, rain is uh, right now is soaking. It's a it's a blessing and soaking the very uh, sturdy, hard uh, earth. So we're coming out from the winter cycle, and if we can just in imaginative folklore form uh, think what it is. I think in uh, traditional classics right now they talk about the dragons are awakening. The dragon, basically the dormant dragon that was kept through the winter in its place, is finally start steering and moving. So this is when the the natural resources, we're thinking like heavenly rains come down, the waken, the soften the land, and also it's just so in a, such a such a fine and innocent way that we don't expect productivity, we don't expect something to in a in a grand aspect of happening it's just staring it's just a gentle moving just seeing the cracks in the ice seeing the cracks in the soil seeing the seeds actually you know embedding and and turning the chi downwards going yin first and then making the loop for seed to sprout but we don't expect to the seed right now to be it to the fruition so our expectations should be also in a modest way 
hold the place. And and when you say, um, you know, that we, it doesn't have to just be the physical form of the element, it's feeling the element. It's like if you are in a room where it seems that arguments always tend to break out, then that may be too much fire elemental energy in that room. Or if somebody comes into a room and it's like, oh, I just always feel so comfortable and peaceful and calm when I come into this, you know, room kind of thing, that mm. might be a more watery kind of energy that they're feeling in that space. Okay. Uh, so, so how do people, how do you go about determining what elemental energetic aspects may be prevalent in different spaces? And then how do you, because I'm assuming you would try to balance them out, or do you try to make a space an element and get rid of an element depending on what we're intending for that room to be? Mm. Um, it's a great question. It's, it's really the answer is depends. It's for the same, uh, for this, let's say for the same client or the same uh, situation in a different time frame. That's when why we are kind of always looking on a three-dimensional aspect of the human chi, uh, earth chi, and uh, heaven chi. Is it timely? And what is the state of the human, let's say, body? When you're speaking of anger, right, that definitely is a correlates to the contamination of the liver. That means the liver is weak. That could be from, you know, over-medication, like maybe some kind of, you know, um, uh, there's the contamination within the body that expresses itself. Somehow the body needs to release it, right? So it happens energetically through our maybe misconduct and shouting or being irritating, irritated. Then you add that into the space where you're having the argument, let's say, or where the argument takes place the most. And sometimes the, the areas when we don't have a, uh, let's say it's we, we facing the dead wall, right, that the answers obviously or our frustration kind of bounces back to us. And there's no way you can kind of come to the resolution as quickly as if you would brought your, let's say, argument or disperse into the outside place. Uh, sometimes I say, well, if the couple who have a disagreement, why don't you go for a walk, argue inside of your house? <laughs> you know, take the time and take the neutral ground. Um, would be like kind of to making an adjustment because then as soon as you step out of the environment, you, um, as you know, we imprint our body with the subconscious experience and sometimes they last forever. Sometimes it takes time to clear clearing and it's based on individual basis, right? So, but how to, to balance, it really is depends. Are you, uh, is the client himself is, if there's an older or younger, that's also is their their life experience. For example, when we go, when we are like maybe as we now is we're probably experiencing more earth element in our life cycle, uh, which is we we are more mature, we grounded, we have the more knowledge and wisdom and application, and obviously we could deal with the frustration and circumstances uh, way differently than what maybe was uh, you know. 20, 30 years ago, where our element were in a transition between a fire, 
right, from the knowledge into the earth. And we probably were more feistier and more kind of, um, let's say, energetically speaking, uh, right in the, uh, can't find the right word for it, but more stimulated by the outside environment. So our conduct was not dependent only where you were in the space, but where you are also within your own life cycle. And that's where in my practice, the, the, the astrology chart, like looking at the charts and overlaying them over the, the space that uh, uh, people live in and how they surround themselves goes it absolutely is a must and linked together. And it, you know, and it makes me think a lot of the work that I do with uh, clients, um, they're often asking about how to, uh, like, clear their space of negative energy, you know, and that kind of thing where they would, like, use sage, for example, as a way to clear yeah. the energy of a space. Um, and I always remind them that it's actually a two-step process because once it's cleared, you also have to be very conscientious about what it is that you fill that space with. And just like you were saying, instead of arguing in the house, go for a walk, because at least you stop continually filling the house space with that yes. anger energy, and you take yes. it outside so that it gets dispersed elsewhere rather than filling the space, and then kind of building on itself and affecting uh, people. So, you know, for me, in terms of what I would often be working with people is, you know, using sage or cedar or Palo Santo or something to clear the space and then following it up with another incense or mantra or sound or crystals or whatever they want to use to fill the space with what it is that they have the intention for that space to be. So what are some things that would be done in feng shui to clear space and then to shift the space and fill the space with the kind of energy that you want. So if somebody felt that the space tends to uh, affect things by creating arguments, for example, mm. you know, what, what would be the feng shui approach to clearing the space and shifting that space um, and filling that space with uh, an energy that we might prefer to have in there? Um, there's a, is a quite a vast way of the, what to what to do and it's always is uh it's a based on individual situation but one of the most common uh common in my practice especially when um, there is a divorce case or there's a, maybe moving out of the one house that you are very attached to and moving to the next space um is the use this like a sea salt clearing a cure then you can re like a first of all after you organize a space uh, organize what I mean is at least um, do your best to calm the physical environment, you know, from the piles of books and magazines and uh, and stuff around, at least consolidate and identify this space and maybe create the area where you can get yourself like in this, you know, surround yourself with a space that it's more calm and more conducive. Um, typically, the uh, overnight leaving the salt bowl in the center of the room, and then on the next morning, intentionally basically, but and then the next morning, bring it that salt out to earth, so that it is not wasteful. It's not like discarded, but it's actually absorbed 
the cheese absorbed and then you bring it out to the grass or the, to the earth to kind of nourish and to to clarify it. Um, I use, and I think it's very effective when um, is to use to go clockwise and using the drum or using the bell or using um, something very that's it's more like a drum sound that can can shake the chi kind of to shake the 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 energy dust of the sticky walls and you clap or even just simply clapping with your hands and from corner to corner from bottom up you rise the chi up you know clarifying. And then, and then um, uh, using the incense and saging, there is the the metaphor that I would like always to tell my clients is why you are doing is is by bringing this blessing is that the only way spiritually we can we can hear the spirit we can connect to spirit is through the sense of smell. And the smoke or the the seeing the very vaporing part is almost like um, uh, significant that we are connecting to the spiritual aspect. Um, so I think that's why also for the shamans and for the in, in native Indian cultures that we when we do see the smoke in itself is then the our ancestor ancestry is communicating or supporting us. Yeah, and uh, that, I, mm-hmm. I, well, and I was also curious. Um, you know, in the roundtable, there was a couple of things that um, Mildred had said that she does that I thought really resonated, and I wanted to see what you thought because I was a very layman's thing. Uh, so <laughs> I wanted to see what you thought of those in terms of the feng shui perspective. And one of the things that she has started doing is anytime she bring something into a space, she always makes sure to remove something. So there's always a sense of replace rather yeah. than just add to. Um, and two, she realized there were different areas in different rooms where when you sat there, she really focused on what it is that you see. And so mm-hmm. if there were areas where you were like sitting in a chair and it just kind of looked at a wall, she always made sure to put, you know, like a a nice piece of artwork or something that would be calming or stimulating in the sense of it might just, you know, bring your mind into a particular focus, like having a banner with a particular saying or affirmation on it or something like that. So I was, I was wondering what you thought of those in terms of traditional feng shui approaches. Um, But I think that they're still effective, even if they're not traditional. Well, it's, 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 uh, what is the traditional is the, in feng shui, we trying to collect, connect not to the just uh, your I- interior environment, but in my practice, my goal is to build the larger awareness from like a more macrocosmic aspect where you are located. And the simplest thing you can sometimes ask, we, you know, we are in Silicon Valley. We are in a mecca of this very vital, um, you know, part of the world. Right, and sometimes you just ask simple questions: Why this happened? Why are we? Why does just such an opportunity takes place here where we are? And 
as a feng shui expert, I say it's like it is the feng shui, it is the land formation, it is the cultivated chi that has been here for many, many thousands of years. These are the mountains and valley and the bay and the ocean from the side. So that accumulates the certain forces of this abundance of nourishing, very flourishing chi. The next step for me when I work with a client is how do I interpret this abundance of these beautiful mountains, these beautiful rivers, the beautiful bay, and how to start kind of, you know, implementing in a miniature form closer to your living space. So the simple sometimes not neglecting your back or the front yard not neglecting your main door. What enhances you to transition from uh, coming home? What is the motivation for you to cross your threshold? Like what is, why are you coming home? Or why are you going to work? So these are kind of very simple questions, but they have a, such a deep, deep response because we're starting like opening up the deeper layer of a reasoning of your no soul being, what sustains you in this like current and this present moment. Um, so the, the the functional aspect is like I said, is that it's supportive element when I can identify, let's say there's the house and there's the no opening to the south by based on the way it sits, so based on so basically there's no opening walls in the south. And let's say somebody's kind of deprived or depressed. And Logically, logically and practically, by looking at the chart and knowing that the South, for, for example, is their most prosperous, most healing direction, I would integrate some image that would be, um, you know, not only representing of the day and sun from the outside source, but basically brightening that area up and clarifying from the um, maybe something that is not serving the person at that very moment. So this is just, as I said, it, it depends on the situation. But yes, surrounding yourself with the things that we correlate to consciously and subconsciously that serves as well is very important. Uh, in my practice also, I notice the connectedness to ancestral chi or our heritage. I mean, being from Latvia, you know, how do I identify myself? Or what is that deeper connection? Where is continuous of the ancestral chi and how it represents me in my own space? Uh, sometimes we, uh, I know in the feng shui, there's such a uh, direction, one of the eight mansions when you practice, there's a wukwei. And in a traditionally lately, in a later, later translations, it has a little more like a diminished G or, or dis, discord or disconnect interpretations from the uh, other resources. I personally embrace that uh, directionality and start thinking about and talking to the client and thinking, okay, how was your relationship with your grandma? How was your experience where you are coming from? What is the maybe something that from your childhood you experienced that you are treasuring for, you know, for a long time? Or where you place your altar? What's your worshiping? So these are the ancestral connections that's very, very appropriate to kind of balance 
uh, that particular direction for individual or for the house. So I hope these are just a few examples that give a vague idea how how uh, vast the application of feng shui could be in your own space. Uh, oh yeah, and you know, and one thing that you brought up that I think is always really important is that kind of subconscious or psychological element. So you said, you know, do you pay attention to your front door, uh, and um, or when you walk into your workspace? And I think that one easy way to think about that perhaps is when you're walking into your front door, every time you see the front door, do you think, oh, you know, I really need to paint that. <laughs> oh, I, re- I really should fix that, that doorknob or something. So yeah. before you even come in the house, you already are triggering a, for lack of a better word, a negative psychological mindset or a negative subconscious thing that mm-hmm. you bring into the house uh, right away because you trigger that and then you walk into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so, and I think that that brings up too that people need to pay attention to all of the spaces they inhabit, whether it's their living space, their yeah. geographic location, their office or cubicle or workspace, um, and even the physical body because that's also a space that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, can you talk about how, when we look at all of those different things, how do we feng shui ourselves as our physical body selves? You know, and and what can we do in workspaces? Because sometimes we're very limited in a workspace as to what we mm. might be able to have in there, or you know, can't burn incense or whatever. Um, so, yeah. can you talk about some of those other spaces like that too, as to how we can go about thinking in a feng shui way uh, of yeah. what we can do for those kind of spaces? Uh, you you brought a very good aspect of the view that's in my practice when I view the house or the property. I actually correlate and view it as a body, as a human body, okay? Uh, and that would be how we correlate the main door. is like uh, it's a mouth chi. That's where it's like in our body, like how do we feed our body is by bringing food to your mouth, right? We don't feed ourselves through our ears or some other parts or the, through the shoulder. There is this purposeful already in nature created kind of uh, I would say the routine or roadmap how we feed ourselves and how we digest and you know and release the same aspect the same application the simple way of looking like when you're bringing your chi through the home through main door and I know in our built environment with the, using the garage and side doors, a lot of times, many times, our, our own occupants, they don't use their main door, which I kind of switch around and encourage, you know, nourish that. Um, speaking of the office spaces, and I know that many times we are limited to sometimes our surrounding of the cubicle, as the surrounding of, uh, of uh, uh, in general, like, area and especially now I mean just a recent experience um, doing the feng shui for the bigger buildings and office buildings and noticing that the modern um, modern way of looking at the style with these clean lines with very straightness to it um, it generates kind of fast moving chi sometimes it also feels cool or colder and it takes more human chi to kind of you know bring that energy uh, the sense of uh, your own sense or nourishment in your own space uh, obviously as 
the frames and photographs that you can you can uh, you know add in a certain areas that helps you to connect to the nature and what i mean a nature is like where you can see the the mountains and the rivers or lake and abundance of the greenery like in this awakening spring i mean i love this time of year in california especially seeing the the hills right now the abundance of the of the green juicy colors just awakening it's not harsh it's not aggressive it's just there um and how you can kind of invite that feeling that you know you have always this cushion of support always a cushion of the rejuvenation, always the stimulus, because that's what we humans need, especially after coming out of the winter, after coming out of the exhausted, uh, big yin and awakening moment, is how do we keep going? How do we uh, maintain our uh, kind of spring quality of that? Um, and it doesn't have to be too many things, but I think uh, just the one frame, just the one um one item that you can always connect to it could be seasonal uh seasonal thing that you can especially you know people who have children and and bring their items of their kids just a, a one thing that reminds you of home connectedness to this humble uh tea of the spring right your children um these are just a, a fine and pros also the layout the layout by form. Sometimes the layout, the built-in layout, is so unfortunate in um, uh, in some areas that are hard to fix. So then you have to use these, you know, images and mirrors, and not just as something very that you personally connect to it. And it also made me think another thing that's a very modern, trendy thing, especially in office spaces. And I'm wondering if this, because, you know, we talk about the flow of energy and a lot of times, like in a house, you pay attention to corners or different things where the energy gets blocked and, and isn't flowing smoothly through yeah. the space. Um, and in office spaces, a very trendy thing now is the open office plan, which mm -hmm. makes it a little challenging for people to be able to really do much from a right. feng shui because it's like you're at a long desk slash table that is, you know, <laughs> seated 10 people there on one side and 10 people on the other. And it's just, you know, computer screens back to back and all of that. Um, does that kind of a, a openness help with the flow of chi and, and the energy in the space? But does it also present uh, some additional challenges to what you can do from a feng shui perspective? Because mm -hmm. you'd probably have to do something much smaller or more subtle <laughs> since you're well, there. Uh, just from the just from the recent, I have a, just several uh, several larger clients, and we work with the physical space, like larger space. They moved in in the Silicon Valley, and one of the obviously we're going with the trend. We are uh, the 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 clients which you know bring you this metal and the fast moving chi <laughs> um that's how i describe these like very fine lines very long corridors and there's no containment and what i mean by containment is there's no time to digest it's like if i would correlate um and exp like kind of compare this type of um uh, vision like when you take your lunch and you you put you you chew it and you digest your food, right? There is a time in between that takes place to nourish your body, and it takes a little effort to digest, right? 
So when, when I come to the physical place, let's say, you know, offices, there's sometimes if the reception area is, is let's say, doesn't ha- is weaker, that means I'm fast forwarding into the big space with that harshness, with maybe just too fast moving chi. And then it disperses. Then it sits in this vast place and gets in a more like a confused state. And what I mean by confused state is it tries to fill in all the vast place without kind of settling in, like no, no, like armchair, no, no area to, I don't mean to hide, but to contemplate. Um, it's, I think it's very important that uh, in the new spaces, like especially office spaces, that are a designated areas where you could kind of be in a partial containment. Maybe there is a, is there like partial wall that you can kind of not like hiding of it, but you can go away for a moment. I, I know there's a meditative state, spaces are being introduced or like a nursing for, you know, for nursing babies and et cetera, et cetera. But, but just have the place that you can step out and be like in a partial cave, I would call it the cave that you are in, stepping out from the young, very vibrant and very demanding environment into this like a cultivate, self-cultivating place, which is more yin. That could be also when you introduce the uh, very uh, kind of, I think it's beautiful element what, um, with it now with the technology and with the availability of the plants and how to is the green wall green wall in recreational areas or nearby the kitchens and lunch areas. So this is just a few elements. It doesn't have to be that I I request sometimes, you know, plants everywhere. No, pick the right area where the plants are thriving because of the natural resources, you know, and plants are in a nourishing aspect that you cultivate that area it's designated for connectiveness for calming your chi for re rejuvenating for kind of coming back to yourself you become more productive at your workspace i think that this is also you know a very important uh, way of thinking and approaching things because it's also very trendy uh, in houses to have mm-hmm. that open floor plan kind of idea, you know, we're we're getting ready to remodel our house, and of course, all sorts of people are saying that we should have the the open floor plan where the kitchen and the dining area and the living room they all are just open and look out to each other, you know, which is nice, I suppose. <laughs> I have to say, I'm more a fan of having a, a formal dining room, a separate actual space for the dining room, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that some of the things you're talking about are very important for people to think about, especially if they have a very open kind of floor plan in their house as well, mm-hmm. uh, that you, you want to create those little spaces that are uh, like a cave or a refuge or a place where the energy can just come and calm down for a bit and sit, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, not get yeah. stopped. Yeah, I, I just, again, another another case, it's, it was just actually working with a client as we speak, and there is such a situation when we are um, opening up and, and combining the living room and formal living room into the one space that will be partially exposed to the kitchen or like open kitchen. And I was like, yes, 
and then you look at the you, I look at the floor plan, I look at the architectural drawing to it, and I still would like to identify. We are like in a Tai Chi symbol, right? The yin and yang in a correlation. There's you cannot you cannot experience yang if there's no yin, and you cannot really contain yin if there's no yang. They are kind of in a harmony, in balance. But the balance that I think the most of us forget, the balance between yin and yang space is not, that's not the balance. We would like to think that way, but it's not. In the nature, the balance is more like 70 of yin or maybe, you know, 60% of yin and just, uh, you know, 20, 30% of yang. That's enough. You know, you know that that's enough. So when you're opening um, the kitchen, for example, and it becomes a vast living room, obviously that area is for conducing more daily, more fun, more areas that are for young activities. As long as the client knows that he has and goes to the bedroom that is more yin and it's clearly more you know, contain space when you can rest and kind of go into the, then overall house, it becomes a good balance. The, the third aspect is how much do we are opening up the kitchen from the point, viewpoint when we enter the house. And I know the traditional classical feng shui, you always read like you don't want to see a kitchen right away when you open the main door. It's like there's the practical reasons to it. There's also was the, the way they were conduct, you know, how are they bringing the food into the kitchen, et cetera, in, in, you know, historically. And how we adopt that principle into the modern, uh, modern uh, lifestyle is still maintaining the at least two walls or two spaces that are contain the kitchen. And then if that's the yin aspect, of this layout, then you're opening up the space where you can, you know, can be, um, the young could be explored, the young could expand, but you have a good balance. Uh, and, you know, in our kind of, in any culture, I think everybody kind of drawn towards the fire, towards the kitchen, and we all, all mass of people typically consolidate themselves around the kitchen table, right? So there's something to, you know, understand con- con- uh, subconsciously that humans are drawn to the community feel to it, the cohesive aspect to it. Open space is great, but in moderation. Yeah. Um, and so then how would you then apply some of these principles if we were thinking about feng shui, fun- uh, 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 applying feng shui to our body, to our mm. physical self? Um, physical self is the conduct. Um, I, I would think that the, the conduct and appropriate conduct going with the chinos of the season. Um, for example, right now we are are in the in the spring chino, the, the third moon, and you know classics would write about this is a time where we would take care of the orphans and the and people who are grie- uh, grieving because of the cycle of time after the surviving the harsh winters. In, in the nature, there is a, a great loss being taken. And just viewing the spring and its awakening 
it's awakening to come out of the let's say depressed aspect of the darkness, but giving enough uh, energy or giving enough stimulus that reminds you and gives you a great time of promise, a promise of fruition, a promise that that spring and summer and fall and the seasons of abundance is is there. Uh, in our own conduct, it's very important not to exhaust yourself at this very time frame, especially with the next two weeks, uh, because just think about, again, yin and yang in nature. We're coming out of, the, of the, this great yin, like I would always correlate to view of the uh, uh, old, old grandma. Old, old grandma, it's still there. It's still alive, but it's not as, let's say, productive is just being there and the grandchild is born this is the spring the young and it's kind of it's not as capable it's born you have to be gentle with it you have to candle you have to cradle you have to nourish it's not talking yet it's not walking on its own it's not doing a lot of things it's just being there so if we apply that type of uh, correlative thinking to our body is the is in our conduct, we would, you know, simplify our diet, do the cleanse, do nothing, nothing like overly exuberated, you know, luscious uh, spices. Uh, we just, we would calm our digestive system. I know people are also facing their, quite a few, especially in California, because of the allergy and cold and, and the sinus. That's the wind disorder. That's again is one of the aspects of uh, misconduct by overexhausting, not not uh, cultivating, but not con- uh, kind of holding on to your chi. And it's not because being lazy is just the conduct of going to bed early, like on time, you know, around 10 p.m. no later, and rising in the morning earlier. You know, just going with the time of the of the day, of the daily aspect. Um, so this is just a, you know, one thing is we are a reflection of our own environment and our own conduct. And we kind of are imitating the patterns of our ancestry, of our ancestral, you know, great, great for thousands of years. How the human cycle was, you know, that human cycle is embedded in each of us. And if we can kind of view it and uh, self, self-reflect self on it, it becomes very helpful. It becomes a, a tool. Really recognizing that even with, like when you said, you know, following the natural cycle of the day and, that, and in the seasons and that kind of thing, that instead of seeing the natural world as something that we have dominion over or that we can dominate and we want to control, we can actually mm-hmm. look to it for all of the clues that we need to be yeah. as healthy as possible if we just learn to align ourselves with what the environment and the season and the external energy is offering us from the natural world because it gives us all of the clues that we can follow. But we, I think we've lost that uh, connection and we've lost yeah. that awareness because we've gotten so used to I can have light whenever I want it 
I can keep mm-hmm. my room dark as long as I need to, rather than waking, you know, allowing the blinds to stay up and waking naturally with the light of the day. Uh, you know, going to bed when you're tired rather than staying up. And, you know, even now we have the problems with like all of the screens like phones and, and iPads and stuff because they interrupt the circadian rhythm with the, the, the light right. that emits from it. Um, you know, so I think people may sometimes think this is hard or I don't know what to do or how would I know how to do something. And it's like, well, just just look around you and be a little more aware and you actually will have what you need to tell you or to reflect back to you the appropriate way. You just have to be willing to see it and then work in harmony with it rather than trying to just do it the way you want to. Right. Absolutely so, right. And, and so one of the things that is very key that you incorporate into the consultations that you do is the astrological natal chart for the client. Um, Can you talk about how the the natal chart um, really helps what it shows you and how it gets incorporated into the feng shui process? Um, Of of course. The the astrology part and feng shui are are always being practiced and implemented together. Because if I have this opportunity to understand the natal capacity of individual let's say and that's the natal capacity is based not just on the year they're born but the full date of birth with the hour day and month that describes a certain aspect of uh, uh, i would say the it's a compound of the yin and yang five elements and 12 earthly branches that has the flavor or synthesis of all these qualities that come from these aspects those create within the human you know experience at the time of birth they created like a precondition that precondition is obviously a manifestation through your life cycle you know you you uh, and that gives like a uh, it almost becomes like a discovery of your self-discovery, as well as for me in a dialogue with a client. It gives me a chance of revealing the element balance, which has always applied in feng shui, and uh, kind of characteristics that they are equipped with at the time of birth. Of course, those those uh, those traits get influence and shaped through life and from the time of the let's say from the if you take the year as the typical roadmap I actually my focus is more how you synthesize the year and the hour and the hours more like how it reflects your inner self what is let's say somebody like this year we know it's a fire monkey year and uh, for some of for some of us who are born in a tiger hour, that you would, you know, typically would say, well, this is diametrics, this is might be exhausting, you should be in your cave. So not necessarily. The conduct is like, you know, you you hold your chi in a place that you, you act appropriately that is for this tiger quality chi to be in a dance 
with the monkey chi that is the year, current year. I know it's probably like a little complicated to explain <laughs> to the larger audiences, but um, my practice is to, to take your capacity and to optimize that inner space to understanding the human chi and its natal chart and where they are in their life cycle, it helps me to improve their situation or, or at least to put in a balance of their expectation and what is potential in the space. Uh, will be like, you know, if, if I take, for example, the year 2012, which was water dragon, you know, we've also correlated the dragon as the imperial. But if the emperor is born, potentially born <laughs> in a village that doesn't have enough, let's say, the, the followers, how can you, you know, how can you manifest that? The emperor need to be moved to the city, <laughs> you know, bigger exposure because they can handle it. You know, not to putting the um, his element like natural abilities uh, to be diminished. So, so feng shui is also it's, it's you correlate to physical place and with a compass aspect, you look what is the most favorable directionality for those certain uh, certain um, you know natal. Like when I do the there's a, as I said, there's a complicated and a lot of information is available for us to use as a tools when we conduct uh, the consultation for individual. And since you mentioned this is the year of the fire monkey, can you just give a few um, keywords or, or primary energetic aspects of what this year is about as the fire monkey year? Um, absolutely. You can, uh, if somebody is interested, I have uh, my talks um, on my website that talks about the fire monkey. In a very, it's again, I ha- it's it's not just appearance because of the one year. Now it's a fire monkey. We have to look back and see how in continuous. We just came back from the year of a wood horse and then wood goat. The element played a big role in expressing these last two years. Now we transition into the fire element, into fire monkey. I mean, obviously, it's, um, it's anything can go. If, let's say, last year, because of the wood goat, she was more about, you know, first thought, fresh thought was best thought. Then uh, my bigger motto, motto of this year was like, you know, anything can go because you can be surprised and shocked by any point in time. Because monkey, it's not just a, um, it's a fire element that it, it kind of is a catalyst. It's, it's action. If, if we have had, uh, let's say, how we would be impressed, if somebody was planning a ride uh, uh, for the last past year, we're writing a book, and then this year would be the great year to print it and to publish, come to life. So you are kind of the conduct of the accumulative aspect of what you've been doing. Let's say maybe working on a project or finalizing education or getting the then this year is would be like giving the opportunities to yourself is to come on a stage, speak up, you know. Show what you've done. Uh, the 
would that yeah. would that also apply so like let's say somebody hasn't been writing a book but for the for a while they've been thinking about or talking about writing a book mm-hmm. then this would be the year to sit down and actually get started actually writing that book you know yeah. it, it may not be at the published point right. but if exactly. it's the culmination of whatever stage they've been at where it says it's now time to act on whatever stage you're coming out of so Interesting that you can see that for certain animals or certain um, certain uh, characteristics. For example, if um, people who who are born on an hour or a year of a horse, or born in the year of a tiger, or hour of a tiger, I would I would highly recommend that because the probably the chi pattern of the horse is kind of in exhausted because they were running the front runners for the two years in a row. And this is like more like a slowing down the writing, preparing the book for horse this year would be very appropriate because that would help the go with the conduct of the, of this current chi not exhaust themselves and be prepared for the next year, which is the year of a rooster making announcements, fire rooster, you know, uh, talking pattern who are going to be finally will be heard publicly in a, in a larger scale. Then, for example, tigers, because we know it's in the diametrics with a monkey, uh, with a monkey, then we think it's okay. I don't want a tiger to be too lazy, right, to in its own conduct. What you can do is to, again, writing the book will be great because you destroy, take yourself out of um, uh, of the cycle of being uh, triggered by a monkey fast chi. So, yeah, application is 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 almost like a, <laughs> our teacher used to say. It's like when you look at the year, let's say fire monkey, think about it like a, a large buffet table, and there is this food that is definitely feeding the chi of the monkey, right? Fire monkey, but not everyone would could digest that aspect of the food of the flavor. So just be mindful what you can. Well, I think, and also I think the fire monkey here is the perfect illustration of our presidential campaign because yeah. you know it's it's anything goes, and apparently it's nothing but a circus of monkeys that are doing it. <laughs> uh, um, well, and, and if I it, if I can say this is a good time, uh, I actually looked at all uh, most of the candidates of the natal chart because that's available. Uh, maybe we can leave this for, the, I don't want to do the politics this time, but yes, you're absolutely right that the year of monkey is the, like a show and, you know, showcase of things of the bigger, larger, because everybody's on stage. But when you look at the qualities of the natal chart of the, each of the candidate, um, I have analyzed some of the, you know, what is the potentiality for this serving the community? serving the crown, what is the kind of the, you know, predisposition for these candidates being in the front runners. So it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, so that's my your, that time. Your con- yeah. And your conclusions? <laughs> I'm not going to take, well, it's, it's, it is really, you know what the, the conclusion, I would not do the conclusion, but I would say the suggestion, the year of monkey there will be a lot of people who will be willing to step on a stage. And there could be a, quite a few fake ones. 
because that's what the monkeys love. They want to Im- mimic. They love to entertain. They love to be spontaneous uh, and integrative. So our, as a community observer, our job is really be factual. Be like who can hold the stage the longest, in a sense, but what they have as a pre- from the previous um, experience. What I mean by previous experience, their own conduct, their accumulative way, how they pre- prevent, uh, you know, out of the blue, standing and say, or they have a precondition that they have a ground that they stand and that what they say, how they back their information up. So don't be foolish. You know, you we have to actually study the facts. And that's what being factual is very important this year. So uh, if someone was coming to you for a consultation, what kind of preparation or information do need, do they need to have when they first come to see you uh, in order to make the consultation as uh, productive as possible? Uh, typically, that's uh, there's a questionnaire form on my website. Uh, there's the questionnaire to, to with the date if they know the date of ba- uh, date of birth and hour really helps. Uh, the the goal and intention or what they're facing, like you know, self reflecting on the questionnaire form is very important uh, to make it more kind of effective of my time. Uh, floor plan and the blueprint of the property or the layout. Um, and I highly recommend to reach out to to feng shui services prior you start building. I love working with the architects. I love working with designers and the contractors and the people with their idea. When you have the idea, just look. Uh, when feng shui comes in place after you already moved the walls and done the things, a lot of things could be done, but not as in a vast effectively as it could have been done on the time of, of building it. Date selections as well, you know, going in a conduct with the time, you know, when to pick the best day for breaking the ground, when is the best day to, you know, to set the roof beam, when is the best day to get married. Uh, this is also is going in a compliance with your timeliness of your own conduct. So very important. And uh, how often would you say that someone would need to do a feng shui consultation or pay attention to what they might need to adjust from a feng shui perspective? Uh, Certain practice that I do with my existing clients actually take place on a yearly basis because, as you know, in the Flying Star School, there is the 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 arrangement alliance of uh, alignment of the energy field is reset itself uh, like for example this current year we are aware or we're paying attention to how how organized and clear is the center as well as the northeast sector of your property or your house the northeast so these are the larger energy impact from outside resources. That's not only based on how the house sits or faces or who is living it. This is just the impact in general to every area. Uh, 
and uh, Southwest, for example, is the one of the I would I would keep it up as more abundance and inviting the abundance into your home because these resources from the outside are available, and that also correlates to 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 trigram that's Earth. Uh, and there's another, you know, correlative aspect that we in, in, in involve in my consultation. So the directionality is important and on a yearly basis. Then adjustments that you do also when you um, are facing some major changes. Sometimes these are could be seen as a pattern language in your natal chart, the astrology chart reading, and then uh, the, let's say the adjustments done in a space to facilitate to either the uh, come back to the quicker to adapt adapt a new case because one of the I always kind of remind is that the, the main definition of feng shui is adaptation because the how quickly you adopt the new um, circumstances is the way how quickly you actually feel in balance. So that's the adaptation is in all aspects is the definition of feng shui. And of course, understanding how really personalized feng shui is. Um, could you give one suggestion or tip for people that anyone listening could do just to enhance or improve the flow of chi in themselves, in their space, in their life? I think uh, uh, because we're going with the season and it will be great to plan a kind of review your space because that kind of the space comes into the light <laughs> we're finally coming out of the 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 let's say the darkness in a sense um is to pick a day or pick a let's say a week and we we'll call declutter or is to arrange and set your home in this like a spring cleaning is very important to everyone. And I wouldn't do it like in a in a drag it through like day by day, one day at a time, one one draw at a time. I would actually really set a time as a larger project to set the state of the discarding and organizing. Uh, because then to maintaining it will be way more effective through the year when the initial work is done. Uh, just think about also trusting the universe that we are, I know we are holding on to a lot of things because with the letting go, well, maybe when I need it, at some point I will need it. And when we need it, we cannot find it. And then we waste our time and we still go to the store and buy it anyway. <laughs> so be mindful what, for you, what you're holding on to. And by letting go, have a full trust to universe or the abundance of universe that when you need it, you will be provided. Excellent. So speaking of providing, can you provide people with your website and the best ways to contact you um, and the things that you offer that they can consider taking advantage of with you? 
Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. So on my website is uh, aelitalito.com, which is A-E-L-I-T-A-L-E-T-O.com. You can contact me um, uh, also through the phone number 408-768-9496. I'm I'm, I'm offering a special for the, all the podcast um, radio uh, listeners uh, the introduction to the either feng shui or astrology reading with 30 minutes no charge and, and give the aspect of, uh, this, let's say, free time for choosing either astrology reading or initial consultation. And also you can contact me on Facebook, on a Facebook page or Twitter. I try to also post on a, on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, about the chi nodes or the um, astrology auspice or what productive activities are. So if you follow, then you can also reach me um, in such a way. Uh, and how would they follow you? Where Where do you post like the the chi notes and that kind of thing? Uh, on a Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter, Ayalita Feng Shui, or on the Facebook, Om Dao Feng Shui page. Okay. And yeah. that's O-M-T-A-O T- or D-A-O? T is a Tom. Tom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, um, you are based in Los Gatos, California. However, people, you can consult people around the world, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the practice. We uh, I consult via Skype. I have done the feng shui adjustments through FaceTime when people actually had the phones and walk me around. But yeah. when the information is provided, well, with nowadays technology, with the Google Earth access and utilizing those tools, and I, I use these tools on a daily basis. And these are, I'm very, very grateful for technology from this aspect is it allows me to land on the properties and allows me to uh, to understand the uh, the land and uh, the layouts and the then astrology piece just adds this more you know more vital piece to to conduct the consultation so yes uh, technology is uh, is very important Skype is great Ayalita USA is my Skype name and uh, that's everything is available on my website excellent uh, so as we move to the close of our conversation, there's something I do with every guest. Uh, first is I have a question I'm going to ask you that a previous guest had posed, not knowing who would get the question. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you for a question to pose to a future guest. Okay. So the question I have to ask you comes from uh, my guest a couple of months ago, wellness expert, Alyssa Cohan, and her question was, how do you accept change with grace and without resistance? Mm. Wow, it's a, it's, a, it's a great, it sounds a very complex question. Um, maybe answer will sound very simple. By not resisting. Uh, and what I mean by not resisting, not being shy, shying away 
from that present moment. Um, I think it's just the Western Western um, society is cultivating certain things that are going away from facing the present moment. And I think it's most likely I would say like uh, like with aging, for example, you know, somehow the the surgical aspect and all the other aspects that we're trying to keep younger and younger and not not like aging gracefully, for example, is also avoiding the natural cycle of life. So, if and I, can, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think it's the perfect question from a feng shui perspective as well, because like what you were just talking about was not holding on to things, you know, so accepting that you loved that outfit in the closet two years ago when you bought it, you've worn it, however, allow it to be gotten rid of to make space for something new, rather than holding on to it, because maybe you'll wear it again at some point. Versus right. accepting that the you know change is just a part of life, and it's actually important to keep the chi flowing Absolutely. by allowing change rather than blocking the chi by preventing or fearing change and then causing things to become very stagnant. Right. I think the fear. Uh, I think in a Buddhist in a Buddhist philosophy is like fear should be like a road map. To for us to fly, for us to actually, you know, to to sense the opportunity. Any time there's edge of fear, is that what kind of on our mindset it stops us from progressing in a sense or tapping into the bigger bigger truth or bigger openness, open space. Sometimes it's also that fear. Um, is edgy is like a revokes the the clarity that and your abilities. So I kind of um, from my studies and practice, I I start embracing the fear, and it's like because because fear becomes like oh that's a little challenge that is a discomfort for me tap into it, but it's okay. It also identifies the capability that we all can do it. We can overcome fear. Just trust our ability, trust our subconscious wisdom, trust that nature that we are, and everything like not putting the ego or like self uh, uh, rejected aspect to it, but you know the trust, the expansion, expand to it. Excellent, excellent response. <laughs> so, what question would you like to pose for a future guest? What question? There's a saying, um, if you are you, you are unique. And it's the next speaker can tell me how, how they vision that. What is that unique? What is unique about them? All right. I would encourage anyone listening as well to allow that question to to sit in their brain and ponder how they might respond themselves. Yeah. yeah. So again, I'll just remind people that your website is alitalito.com, A-E-L-I-T-A, 
L-E-T-O.com, and they can find out information about your services as well as contact information for you to set up a consultation. And I want to say a thousand gratitudes to you for taking time today to join me on the show and share your wisdom and experience uh, with me and with the listeners of the show. Uh, you know, So thank you very much for being here and for doing that. Thank you, Hashi. This has been a great experience. And, you know, um, always, always welcome to. I love sharing the knowledge and share the practice and experience because the practical application is what helps everyone. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, and thank you. And enjoy the, the rain on this Sunday. I love the rain. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank you very much. Alita Lito, everyone. Alita Lito. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Runs well. Yes. And stay tuned. Coming up next, we actually have our monthly astrology update. And during that, actually, you'll be hearing for each of the signs what this month holds and what you're being challenged to do um, or how you're being a, an agent of change uh, and what that means for each of the signs this coming month. And following that is your opportunity to get a reading, uh, which you can get into the queue for by either connecting in from the show page or calling 646 716 Five five one zero. So stay tuned. Uh, you'll probably especially want to hear what the month holds for you as your zodiac sign. And then, of course, if you'd like a reading, I would encourage you to get into the queue. I'm High C. You're listening to Revolution. And we will be right back.
A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi-C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi-C at tarotbyhi-c.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. Greetings, space cadets, and welcome to Inception Date, Equinox of Humanity, your March forecast for astrology. We'll start with a quote from uh, a very great book called The Traveler by John Twelvehawk. People want to believe that there's a tropical island or a cave in the mountains where you can hide, but that is not true anymore. Like it or not, we are all connected to each other. March is the inception of the equinox. For those of us in the northern hemisphere, we find ourselves now entering the period of the vernal flowering and the start of spring. In the southern hemisphere, they are experiencing the autumnal maximum and the start of the dark half of the year. These balance points throughout the year are symbolic of times of redressing and imbalance because they are the experience of equal day and night hours. They are points in the year when there is an open invitation to align with natural cycles and to attune to the logic of your own body. If it means slowing down or speeding up, then that is the message. They also mark times or renewal as they, along with the solstices, signal times when seasons are reaching their peak creativity. In essence, these are transition moments of renewal, change, upheaval, and birth, which is the working definition of an inception date. That our species is facing a collective equinox calling for the inception of a new definition of what it means to be human and what a truly sustainable society looks like. Inception of a new humanity can begin now or at any date, and circumstances are forcing our hand anyways. Whether unrelenting technological upheaval, ecological crises, or other collective movements calling for course correction, humanity will need to redefine itself in a new inception of its potentials. We are at a juncture in the history of humanity that is summed up well in the symbology of the equinox, a time of crossroads, a time to strike the balance, to make the ultimate choice, Extinction or apotheosis, the equinox of humanity, our turning point and inception date into the ecotechnic epic. I invite all of you representatives of raw animal grace, to borrow a phrase from Jenya Turner Beachy, to take the inspiration that is the symbol of Uranus and apply it to the solar cipher you were born under to inspire the work you will do over the next few years. Which is to say, may March and the months that follow be your inception date story. We'll start with Aries, and I want you all, Aries, Rams, to embrace paradox. Aries, generally you are fearless and go where angels fear to tread, and usually go in with guns blazing. I'm encouraging you now to take a less impulsive avenue and instead look within the scanner of yourself. I want you to go where you are most conflicted and where the battle lines seem drawn. 
to a place where you have to confront paradox. Why, you suppose, am I offering you this challenge? It is because we cannot address the deeper wounds of humanity if we cannot hold paradox and seeming conflict to take a more diplomatic approach to the human project. There is considerable need at this juncture of history for a balance of outrage and ethical accounting tempered by diplomacy. Interesting that the planet said to have rulership over Aries is currently in Libra, the sign of diplomacy. That planet, by the way, is Mars. In essence, go to where you are conflicted and strike a balance. For the only way to not become your wounds is to face them. And it goes the same for humanity. Taurus, and you get universal serial bus, which will hopefully make a little more sense uh, towards the end of this explanation. So Taurus, you are the USB device that is uniquely capable of plugging into the hyperframe of Earth, which is to say you connect to the biophysical computer that is the crystalline substrate of our rocky world Earth. It's a time in which you are resourcing and renaturing yourself and preparing the world for a new era. Through a better understanding of the resources you have within yourself, and quite literally the ones present in the planet. The project at hand is to do a complete assessment of existing resources and know exactly how much of everything is present. And from there, build a better foundation for your life. Part of this is recognizing your relationship to the collective, and it means a need to shift the paradigm from a culture of hyper-individuality to one of collective concern for the commonwealth we all share. What I mean is this. You must begin to see yourself as more than the skin-enscapulated ego and realize your community, your world, and its interlocking systems are your new membrane. And like your body, they too need good hygiene. Call it radical self-care. Gemini, and you are Atlas Obscura. Gemini, you are fond of building conceptual models of reality, which is what thinkers, scientists, and the other thought workers do. The one thing many of these technicians, you included, forget is that a model does not describe the reality in question. It only describes the features of our current, that our current paradigm can conceive of. And it is, it is at best, incomplete which is to say the map is not the territory. Your inception task is to get outside of the conceptualizing and to deal with reality in all of its chaotic, white-hot intensity. Instead of escaping into what you think you know about the world, I'm inviting you to discard your preconceived notions and to instead deal with the raw, unfiltered realities. In this task, it will recenter you and orient you towards the pragmatic realities that you must contend with, both in your personal life and in your contribution to the human project. There has to be a recognition of the limits that models of reality impose. Cancer, and your post this month is the river of life. Cancers, your symbol holds the keys to the natural history of the world. It is the vessel of all the permutations of DNA that have ever emerged in the multiverse. Along these lines, you are the embodiment of the river of life. As we all are, as we all come through the genetic stream that gives us our physical being. 
You are engaged in tracing down the various ancestral lineages of both yourself and the human family and disentrenching the legacies that are born from them. It means you will have to dig deep into the realms of the forgotten histories of yours and the world's ancestors, right up to the first stars that exhausted their fiery hearts and provided the basic elements from which our bodies are constructed atom by atom. It's your deep task in life and the one I encourage you to turn your mind to. This task, begin with tracing your own lineage and then build up to the suppressed and forgotten histories in the shadows of colonialism. There will be some of you who find you have been dispossessed of your own history, and for you I suggest looking into the archaeological and anthropological literature to find those histories, as well as other writers who have traced it in creative ways. Knowing your origins is important to understanding your praxis in the world, which naturally brings us to Leo. And your task is to delete the elite. We are monarchs of our own flesh. So many gods, no masters is a variation of an old labor and anarchist uh, slogan, which was no gods, uh, no masters. It's, uh, a variation that was that came was come up by the the pagan scholar Ali Valkyrie. It's so Leo, in essence, gets the most exciting inception task in the anarchist toolbox. They get to call out the elites controlling the world, and it is because their emblem is the sign of royalty. The lion has a deep ancestral memory of what it is to rule, and the illegitimate imposition of a power structure upon the masses which has spawned revolutions throughout history. Leo's intimate awareness of this dialogue means it is uniquely equipped with a critique of power and a desire to call out its excesses. What's more, it is a sign fit for leadership because in its long social evolution, it has had to integrate what it means to be a leader. It is to stand on equal ground with your community and show the way through show the way through demonstration and joining the collective in its endeavors, which is true authority. Virgo, you deal with the nature-culture interface. Virgo, naturally you imagine that technology can mimic biology and that it can fit seamlessly into the natural world because you see no distinction between culture and nature. In your conception, culture, much like the human being, is an epiphenomenon of nature, which is to say the both of them emerge from the natural world. Along these lines, you have your work cut out for you, as both personally and collectively you are elucidating the non-duality of nature and culture and working to redesign the social environment so it reflects that non-duality. I never said it was going to be a simple task, but you, dear Virgo, are so fastidious that you'll have it done before dinner and will have solved the problem of inequality to boot. Libra, and you're dealing with the illusion of isolation. Libra, Western civilization has long labored under the illusion of separation. It goes right back to the founding myth of our culture, the concept of being exiled from the Garden of Eden. In its most recent incarnation, it has taken on Leviathan proportions, been exported all over the world, and has left us alienated from each other in an age where we have never been more interconnected and lonelier. It seems you, dear Libra, are assigned the task of using your natural diplomacy, grace, and charm to gently nudge humanity away from this cultural obsession with a hyper-individualistic endgame 
towards a more egalitarian society in which people feel a sense of connection to each other and to the planet they have their being on. I advise you begin at home with yourself. Many of us are even alienated from the most simple pleasures of our soft animal bodies that radiate into our collective alienation. So, dear Libra, I encourage you to begin the process of reconnection, of plugging back into that human mainframe. Which brings us, of course, to Scorpio. And this month, I called your post-extinction event. Scorpio is uniquely unafraid of the dark and is willing to deeply think about the possibility of what a human extinction event and endgame of our species could play out. That said, it is something Scorpio will work passionately to revert because it can preconceive disaster. It is primed to prevent catastrophe. This is done in their personal lives as well as the arena of collective values, an area Scorpio excels at. I encourage all nascent Scorpios as part of their Inception Day project is to reach into the recesses of their imagination and find the power that lives there. It is the power to transform the world. It is an intense directive to be driven by in life. But Scorpios tend to be intense people. Sagittarius. And you are Eden in mutual reception. Sagittarius. You archers have a unique symbology that speaks to philosophy, religion, the higher uses of intellect in foreign lands. You also have an interesting task in the Uranian Inception. Pluto is currently traversing your cipher and blowing it open, albeit subtly, and in ways you cannot perceive until it becomes unmistakable in its far-reaching impact. Along these lines, your task is the utter transformation of the sacred assumptions the world has based itself on. Currently, there is much infighting between religions and philosophies that does not have to be as they have common origins and many of the same objectives, which is to relink the individual to the source of all minds. Sagittarius, this is your clarion call to find the common ground between all people everywhere and to not allow our differences to divide us any longer. It will mean some difficult transitions and conversations and the acceptance that demographic shifts are occurring that is changing the spiritual makeup of the world. I counsel you study as much as you can of the spiritual and philosophical traditions as those who identify as non-believers may balk at religion but have no problem with philosophy of the world's cultures and do so in a way that respects the integrity of those traditions and at the same time allows you to find commonalities that unite the disparate groups in a cohesive framework. Perhaps I am suggesting a world-centric philosophy with a strong ethic towards the inherent sacredness of the natural world that we are an expression of. It will fall to you to elucidate the details. Capricorn, and you are a house undivided. The Empathy Museum, an idea suggested by philosopher Roman Krisneric, is designed to help people learn about themselves by seeing the world through the eyes of others. So why the focus on empathy? Capricorns can be ruthlessly ambitious at times and have a need to attune to the softer side of life. Empathy is the opposite of introversion, a distinctly 20th century method of attaining self-knowledge. Outrospection is a radical idea predicated on the fact that people actually learn more about themselves, not through internal reflection, but through actively seeking others' perspectives and reflecting back at themselves. 
it is an it is an idea long overdue and a possible and possible a salve to many of the social problems we face in the highly in a highly competitive hyper individualistic capitalist society in which we pursue economic dominance at any cost including ones to our fellow humans we are a world in which the human species is a house divided and it is destroying us utterly What's interesting is that this world of competition correlates to the symbol sets of Capricorn climbing the mountain steadfastly and alone. Unfortunately, this position no longer serves a globally interconnected world that operates at planetary scale. Capricorn, you're climbing a new mountain now, and it is a race to the top to figure out how best to see the world from others' perspectives. You are pioneering the distinctly 21st century social capacity of active empathy and along these lines redesigning the socioeconomic matrix that underpins the world system. In essence, you are co-creating a new world order in which empathy is the value of primacy and soft skills are emphasized above climbing artificially constructed social hierarchies. Which now brings us to Aquarius, the water bearer. And your post is the gift of fire. Dreamy Neptune is traversing your stellar neighborhood. And so the mind now towards the softening of turns towards the softening of boundaries and to the confronting of the Promethean wound, dealing with the trouble that has emerged since technology emerged in a culture with an ethic of exploitation. While our technology rapidly develops and we begin our diaspora into outer space, the conditions on our home world deteriorate rapidly and are undone by the ministrations of our own hand and the misuse of the, technolo of the technology gift. We must take responsibility for the health of this world and repair the damage we have done here before we can go to steward other worlds. This is the inception task for Aquarius, to begin to shift the ways in which we use technology and put it to the service of the higher uses of intellect. Aquarius is guided in its own, in idealism by a vision of recreating Eden, the illusion of separation that has come with our development of self-reflexive consciousness and technology has blinded us to the fact that we were never exiled from Eden, and paradise is a place that still exists in our future experience. We are not relegated to a lost past of an Edenic world. It is what we have yet to create. Aquarius, you guide the world in this vision and remind us to maintain the humility that helps us avoid scientific hubris and cultural chauvinism so that we are reminded to stay humble as we attain the unimaginable heights. That we can reintegrate and regenerate the earth as we spread the virus of life out into space and across the universe. And finally, we come to the last sign of the zodiac, Pisces, and your task is to turn and face the strange. Pisces, with Uranus blasting through the cipher of your sign, your imagination is being upended, and in the strange light of the future, you are on a journey through the most outlandish possibilities of a completely new world. Science fiction will be a far more reliable guide to, to the future than any state-of-the-world report. And Pisces, with your wild and deeply creative imagination, you can envision any future scenario from the breathtakingly beautiful to the most nightmarish dystopia. You are a sensitive creature, so sometimes the imagining can overwhelm you and lead you to escapism. 
I advise avoiding that detour as the world needs your wide angle lens, your wide angle perspective more than it has ever needed it before. Pisces is the eyes of the multiverse and can see through time and space in ways that the other signs cannot. Your inception task is to trust the wild imaginings and bring even the most outrageous version, visions into reality. If it means you have to face the bizarre and be mesmerized by it, then so be it. That's all, cosmonauts. I'll see you next month. Be sure to check out my blog for the full listings, including the Change Agent series for each sign. I'll be back next month. Until then, cosmonauts, keep your eyes on the sky. You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening thus far. We have reached the point in the show where you have a chance to receive a reading live on the air with me, Heisey. 
And I would just let you know also that if you were ever interested in a um, a longer, more in-depth personal reading, that you can find information about me and the services that I offer on tarotbyhighc.net, or you can email me, highc at tarotbyhighc.net. I offer consultations in person in the San Francisco Bay Area and anywhere in the world via FaceTime, Skype, or phone. So let us move to our first caller. And this is someone someone calling from area code code 408. And the first three numbers are 219. Is that you? <laughs> Excellent. Are you, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Okay, uh, great. <laughs> uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Sheree and I'm calling from San Jose. Well, welcome to the show. Um, are, are you on speakerphone? Actually, I was wondering if it, it sounded like it. Does it sound okay now? Yeah, I think so. There was a bit of an okay. echo. Okay, yeah. Um, That's right. So what is it that we could look at for you today in a reading? Um, so I've been um, – uh, I talked to you a couple of times last year with regard to some job transitions for me. I actually um, left a long-time job um, in uh, – actually, just about a year ago now. It was um, uh, a layoff. The company was going to close down. Um, and so – you mentioned that I was going to have a couple of, um, I was going to take some temporary opportunities and um, I would find something more permanent afterward. I did land a temporary opportunity which lasted until December and now I'm looking again and I'm hoping I'm on a cycle for something more permanent. Um, I did hear wind of a, another temporary opportunity come up um, that I was hoping to actually be more permanent last year, but it, uh, the rec got closed. So now it's looking like it might be a temporary situation. So I was wondering if that might lead per, potentially to a permanent, or should I hold out and look for a permanent? Right. Um. I would say that there is uh, a lot better potential or opportunity for you in this thing that you were talking about, not holding okay. out. Um, oh, good. The, the first card that comes up is, now in the deck that I'm using called the Osho Zen deck, there's actually an extra card called the Master, uh, and that's okay. the card that comes up here. So uh, because that's the card that we f- start from, there is a sense of, this may be something that offers you a chance to uh, master something that is going to serve in either moving that to, like they would see your mastery in it and that would move to it becoming permanent, or it offers something that allows you to really master some sort of skill or experience or whatever that serves very well for what would come next. Um, It also could uh, indicate that it may put you in connection to a master that then um, becomes very beneficial to connecting you to the next thing. Um, Even if that just means having 
worked for this person and having that on your resume suddenly opens doors because of the recognition of that person or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then looking at the cards that represent this opportunity, the first card that comes up is the three of wands. So okay. here in this deck, it's called experiencing. So it says that this is certainly something that has experience for you to have that's going to uh, help expand and move towards something bigger or something else because three of wands is very much a card of expansion and growth and going outward or sometimes going into foreign territory um, mm. which can just mean someplace I've never been before something I've never done before you know however you want to interpret foreign um, could right. also it can be a literal travel card so there may be some sort of travel that would be involved with this position um, but it certainly bodes well for what it's going to open up for me uh, well not for me but <laughs> um, <laughs> for, for, for you um, because if we think of the number three, three is a number of optimism. Uh, three is a number of creation or birth. Uh, it can also be a number of fertility in some ways. And it's the idea of when two things come together, they create a third thing. So this shows us that this particular opportunity has a lot of birth potential. And so it's it's part of the, the fertile ground that creates the conditions and the opportunity for your own advancement and growth. Cool. Good, good. Because because if we if we looked at if we looked at holding out and waiting for something else, the Ten of Wands is reversed, followed by the Knight of Swords. So we go from suppression to fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Mm-hmm. And, and especially with the Knight of Swords being there, you'd probably start to get more agitated, more stressed, more anxious, more worried. Um, and yep. Ten of Wands reversed kind of says there may not really be anything for us to um, hold out uh, for. To, yeah, to, to, to mm-hmm. bear. It's, it's, it, you can think of Ten of Wands reverse of like being completely exhausted and burned out. And so the concern would be the more we hold out, the more we're going to get exhausted and burned out on the process of looking, 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 holding out, holding out, holding out, um, which yep. just leads to the Knight of Swords, which cannot be, sometimes can be a little bit less than ideal <laughs> for the yep. direction we want to be going. <laughs> um, awesome. so, so, you know, looking at the master going to the Three of Wands is certainly uh, a much more auspicious, positive, beneficial indication. Um, so I would certainly put a lot of energy, especially this week, astrologically, this is a very, very key week. Um, so I would especially over the next three days, that would actually be a very three of wands thing to say over the next three days, uh, mm-hmm. would be really, really key for putting a lot of attention and energy into reaching out to connecting, to getting stimulating and getting that going in whatever way you can. Um, okay. uh, you know, so really take advantage. Uh, and I say that because we have a, uh, a Jupiter trine Pluto, Pluto, in case you want to know, <laughs> um, yeah, okay. over the next few days that really colors this week as one of the very key weeks uh, of this month um, for getting things going, for making things happen, for uh, accomplishing things, for um, really advancing uh, things in a very energized and positive way, I guess you could say. Um, and, 
you know, th- this is it's it's an energy that really is about uh, firing up the positive potential and possibility for improving the quality of our life, for changing and making changes in our personal life situation, um, and really uh, doing something that moves us towards the resolution of a long-term problem. Oh, good. That's, you know, that's so, what I'm... So really take advantage of the energy this week with that Jupiter trine Pluto going on. Um, And this would point very directly to this opportunity that you've already identified versus holding out for something else. Because, well, we don't want to be holding out for very long because as we get into April, we start to get into a Mars retrograde uh, that goes through June. Um, You know, and that's not really the most advantageous time for uh, making advancement or progress on things. Um, But that three really plays into that because I think what you would see is really getting that going or taking advantage of that now. By Mm -hmm. the end of this year, because in the latter part of this year, um, we have a Jupiter trine Uranus. And that in, uh, indicates that the like November, December time frame is when we really start to see the rewards or the results or the, the tangible kind of payoff of what it is that we have been patient with, disciplined with, and focused uh, and, and perseverant around. So, okay. um, you know, getting that going now. And don't be surprised if it either slows down or you feel like it's not quite moving forward as fast as or as much as I might have thought or wanted it to. Allow for mm-hmm. that coasting aspect because um, probably okay. it'll start to pick up as we move to the end of summer. But then really that latter part of the year, I just say like Q4 of 2016 for businessy things, um, you mm-hmm. know, Q4 of this year is when you'd really start to see the payoff from what you might be initiating or getting going right now before we get into the Mars retrograde and just allow for a little bit of time to see the real payoff from it. So have the patience. Okay. Don't give up if it doesn't happen overnight, you know, kind of thing. And don't try to push it too hard. <laughs> okay. Awesome. It's great. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Great show today. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of Sunday. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So I think that's going to do it for today. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. It was a pleasure to have you join me once again. Uh, As always, you can listen in on the second Sunday of each month when Revolution airs if you would like to listen in live. Uh, Of course, you can always listen to a show anytime after it is aired, this one or any of the previous shows. Uh, And you can find those on Blog Talk Radio. You can also find those on iTunes. So I encourage you, if you wanted to check out previous shows or re-listen to a show because maybe there was a lot of information and you weren't able to quite take it all in, um, I would, you know, certainly encourage you to check those out. Uh, As I said a little while ago, you can find me at tarotbyhighc.net or on Facebook, just search for Tarot by High C or go to facebook.com slash Tarot High C. And I am happy to have you there to answer questions or even just to hear your feedback and thoughts on the shows. Um, So enjoy the rest of this Sunday. Thank you for listening. And I will look forward to being here with you once again for Revolution with High C in April.
Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.